It's Monday, June 16th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman. Happy Monday, gents. Hey, you hey. too. It's Merger Monday. It is. It seems like it's we're every Merger Monday. I was going to say, yeah. it seems like we're saying that a lot more often than we used to. Well, uh, talk about, let's just start with that. Let's just start with the news of the day, which is Medtronic. The sexy world of medical device makers, but Medtronic is the biggest one in the world. It is about to get a lot bigger because it is buying Covidian, which is a competing medical device maker. Cash and stock deal worth about $43 billion. You would think just the deal itself would be enough to get people's attention, but this has the icing on the cake, which is that Medtronic, the acquiring company based in the United States will now be headquartered in Ireland, which is where Covidian is headquartered, all because of taxes. Yeah, I think that's why I approve of this deal, no matter what it does for shareholders. Like, I'm, <laughs> it's going to work out for shareholders, okay? I mean, uh, but I'm, I mean, I'm a big fan of this deal, mainly because, like, it's another middle finger at the U.S. tax code. <laughs> and I mean, we, you know, I'm, I'm, I, have, I have no problem with taxes. Don't get me wrong here. I have a problem with our tax code. I think it's 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 so nebulous at this point in the game. It makes no sense, and we've created a system that really, you know, it, it incentivizes uh, companies to to do things like this. Uh, or incense is is incentivizes even really a word. I think maybe I'll, it's I'll incense, allow it. But we'll allow it. Okay. Um, anyway, we've created <laughs> this system Muckerman of incentives. So this the system of incentives where I mean, you know, taxes guide these types of decisions. And I mean, I think there was there was something there to the Apple Beats deal is, is the same dynamic, right? Beats was based out of Ireland. Doctor Dre had he had the wherewithal to figure out that Ireland has this uh, you know minuscule corporate tax. Uh, Liability yeah, the taxes, code, the, the, the corporate tax rate can be as low as twelve and a half percent in the U.S. It ranges anywhere from fifteen to I think thirty-five percent. And I mean, we're seeing the same thing. I mean, it's obviously it's not just these two device makers. I mean, Walgreen is still pondering the same uh, potential uh, inversion transaction with I think a Swiss company. Um, so Pfizer. Why do you think Pfizer has been sniffing around the UK pharmaceuticals yeah. for the past twelve months? They have top five cash in the in the country overseas. So yeah, of I mean, course they're trying to get rid of it. This is going to create a behemoth any which way you look at it. I mean, Metron and Covidian are the two two big daddies in this in this industry anyway. Uh, you know, the trailing twelve month free cash flow of the two combined was around six point five billion dollars. You compare that to something like St. Jude Medical, which is no slouch. I mean, that's still a pretty big you know device maker. They brought in you know, like eight hundred million, you know, in free cash flow, you know, last last year. So it, this this is going to be where scale matters. Uh, this is going to be a big deal, certainly, and and I imagine that uh, shareholders will win from the transaction partly because they have to to qualify as an inversion. The shareholders of the acquired company must receive stock amounting to at least twenty percent of the resulting entity. So this is going to enable, uh, you know, the Medtronic and Covidian to to be able to to spin off a lot of this cash towards towards shareholders. Yeah, Taylor, I should point out the buyout price uh, results in a 29% premium uh, for Con- Covidian's share price. So, obviously, those shareholders having a good day. But to Jason- and they've also performed very well over the last few years, too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, this is not just a, a spike that these investors are, are now finally saying. They've been really treated well by Covidian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to Jason's point, I mean, if you're Medtronic, even though the stock is not really, I think it was flat maybe up half a percent when when we walked in the studio you got to feel really good about the long term implications of this deal 
Yeah, the negotiating power that they'll wield with hospitals and doctors is just going to be phenomenal. Luckily for patients, they make great products because you're probably going to see a lot more of them in hospitals if this deal goes through. You've seen hospitals merge, so they started to gain some more negotiating power. But now with this mega deal, I mean, there's going to be in those deal rooms, I think Medtronics is going to come out with a lot more favorable pricing on their end. And. You know, I joke at the top about the the sexy world of medical device companies. Let's face it; the, these are not household name companies, right? Well, the older I get, the better <laughs> these device makers look. Absolutely, I mean, you know, but but I, I'm wondering to what extent, if any, this is going to uh, cause some ripples across the Potomac River on Capitol Hill, because again, they're not household names. I think if Pfizer had had done mm-hmm. the deal. I think that might have gotten people on Capitol Hill nervous and and possibly springing into action saying, wait a minute, what are we doing with our corporate taxes? And and let's be clear, profits have never been higher. In the aggregate, profits have never been higher. So it's not like companies are really hurting for cash Mm -hmm. or hurting for profits. That being said, if the U.S. tax code is set up in such a way that not just Medtronic, but Pfizer and presumably numerous other companies. Yeah, they're not trying to hide it at all. They're right? not trying to hide it's it. It's clear and, that and this saying, is the reason why right. this is happening. Yeah, and uh, someone made the point um, uh, this morning, like, look, this isn't this isn't tax dodging. They're just looking to pay the lowest possible rate they can. It's yeah. capitalism. It's yeah. tax management. Yeah. I mean, that's what it is. Like, you have that, – that's a CFO's uh, – that's one of the CFO's primary mandates. I mean, when you come in, hey, listen, I want you to manage this company – as effectively and, and, and as efficiently as possible, and you know, without breaking the law, let's just rub up as close as we can to it, and and you know, let's let's just make sure we manage the the, the tax liabilities and tax exposure. It, it makes perfect sense. I mean, that's uh, again. I mean, I, I think that as time goes on, I think this gets more and more difficult to do, especially with the tremendous. You know, these two companies are, are huge to begin with. They, mo- they both make about half their money outside of the United States, too, so they have uh, tremendous global footprints. And um, so it's certainly not an easy thing to do, but it's very understandable. It's, you know, Apple is issuing debt to buy back stock instead of bringing their cash back. Um, and, and every once in a while, you'll see something like, I mean, we, we talked about Lululemon last week, uh, where Lululemon brought back about $500 million. They repatriated $500 million uh, to, to be able to help fund the $450 million share repurchase authorization. But, you know, I mean, it, it could be argued that Lululemon's share price is, I think, you know, it's it, it's at a three-year low or something like yeah. that. So that's probably a pretty smart deal because they're only paying about $30 million to repatriate that money anyway. Um, and, and so for them it worked. But when you have these companies that have these billions and billions of dollars, that's what really hurts, you know, the government when, they, when they're looking at those as potential revenue sources and they're no longer revenue sources. I mean, those are some big dollars that they're just not going to get. And as a result, they're going to have- Talking about another tax repatriation holiday to try and get some of that yeah. one point, I think nine five trillion dollars that's overseas right now from U.S. based companies, and they're not going to get all the tax revenue that they would have had that been repatriated on their own. eBay brought back I think three to four yeah, billion about a month ago to fund some some projects and possibly also buy back some stock. And uh, like Lululemon, that's been trading under the market uh, over the last year, so maybe a wise move on their part as well. And I understand the tax holiday thing. I'm, I'm a big proponent of it. I think it would be a great idea to have a tax holiday. Um, it's, it's not like it hasn't been done before. And I know that some people feel like, well, that's not something that trickles down to the individual investor. And I, I would beg to differ. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it does, because when you look at it, essentially 50% of the American households out there are exposed to, to the stock market, whether it be through 
uh, you know, you know uh, funds that they hold in, in their retirement accounts or just individual stocks. 401k whatever plan. Right. Exactly. So, uh, but, but look a little bit bigger picture. I mean, when these companies have the opportunity to bring this money back, I mean, Medtronic and Covidian, I, I'm going to be fascinated to see the R&D line here for this, for this combined entity over the next five years, because they ought to be able to plunk a lot of money into research and development and really, uh, you know, create some, some fascinating new technologies so that when we are, you know, closing in on 50 and 60 years old, they'll, they'll probably have the devices that we really need by that point. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, that's how those tax holidays can trickle down to the individual investor uh, and, and certainly help. It certainly doesn't hurt the economy, I don't think. In Sunday's Washington Post in the business section, uh, Barry Ritholtz uh, had his column that he does twice a month. And the headline caught my eye, which was, How to Build Your Own Financial Dream Team. So I read through the article and was very pleased to read this passage. And And he starts by saying, look, I get this question all the time. There's so much information available to investors. How, how do you sift through? How do you sort through all of it? And one of his pieces of advice, keeping in mind that everyone's investment goals are different, one piece of advice was create your own media research team. And he writes, I have my favorites whom I always read, Matt Levine of Bloomberg View, Jesse Eisinger of ProRepublica. Uh, Pro Let me try that again. Jesse Eisinger at ProPublica. Morgan Housel of The Motley Fool, Jason Zweig at The Wall Street Journal. There are another dozen uh, of regulars that are on my daily must-read list. Develop your own list. So first of all, shout out to our man, Morgan Absolutely. Housel. There he is. Always nice to see. I'd put him up there um, on my must-read, Absolutely. Too. Morgan is must-read uh, here at Fool.com. Uh, but it did get me thinking about you guys and the work that you do every day looking at stocks. Who is on your must-read list? And let's take it outside the company, because we've given Morgan enough praise. <laughs> yeah, it is nice nowadays. You don't really need your own advisor, because there's so many smart people out there providing a lot of information for free or for a small fee, but uh, it's it's just nice that you can aggregate that. And um, I like a few people. What I, what I really enjoy is um, guys that'll email you once a week, twice a week, a couple times a month for some longer pieces that you can kind of get in. And they're more researched and thought out. And uh, Grant Williams is one of those guys who's a little bit more contrarian, a little bit more bearish. So with so much optimism out there, I like to keep my keep my bearings a little bit. And uh, he puts out a, a piece called uh, Things That Make You Go Hmm. And he'll email that to you. You can get it on his site or you can follow him. I think it's on Twitter at T-T-M-Y-G-H, the acronym for that newsletter. Uh, John Malden, um, been in the business a long time. He puts out uh, outside the box and on the front lines, um, econ, psychology, macro topics, and he has a lot of guest posts on those as well. And then one that I just found recently is uh, Ben Hunt, salient partners out of Houston, Texas, $19 billion in asset management. And this guy is a risk officer running money, and he looks at things from the perspective of game theory and history, which is something that I have yet wow. to find out. Uh, and, and like I said, I've only been reading him for a couple of weeks, but uh, unlike any other uh, advisor I've found, and uh, I, I look to that once a week whenever he puts something out. Does he have a particular area of focus, whether it is investment philosophy or industry? Uh, no, no real focus. Um, like the key thing is risk management for him, um, and, and tying that back from lessons that you've learned, not just from investing history, but from world history. So it's it's pretty fascinating. Jason, yeah, I mean, I agree with Taylor there. I think that it's just amazing what the internet has enabled. Uh, you have all of this information at your fingertips. Just before you had to go dig for that kind of stuff. I mean, I remember even 
back in college, right? I graduated in 1995, and so the internet was just really email was just actually a novel concept at that point, and and so. Uh, you know, we were you know, digging around the libraries and looking at microfiches and stuff like that. Today, it's just man, I I use Feedly just to kind of like an aggregator that I'll check usually in the morning. Um, I like to follow a lot of those tech sites. I think those are those are interesting uh, just because tech is is playing such a big part in our world today. But um, I, I like I like you know from the day to day kind of th- that's kind of entertainment. I, I like looking for. Uh, leaders and CEOs of companies that I admire and follow and and I try to keep up with things that they're doing uh you know between Twitter and LinkedIn for example you can you can really uh find a lot of what these folks are writing and so I, I think about people like uh T Boone Pickens is one uh, Marissa Meyer Dick Costello and um I like the Freakonomics guys Levitt and Dubner a lot they, they are just really I I I feel I feel like we're kind of kindred spirits with those freakish thinkers. You know, think like a freak. That recent that book they just yeah. came out with was really good. I just finished that up, and it's just very similar to sort of they look at things from a contrary perspective. So I think that reading, uh, reading wise, they're they're excellent and, and a great Twitter follow. You always have some obscure sort of data and facts and statistics and things that come out from them. But yeah, I mean, I think uh, that that to me is it's it's finding the companies that really interest you, and then. And then digging in more to the leadership of, of those companies because there's some great leaders out there and, and they are, you know, putting their thoughts out on paper and, and, and uh, you can you can get it, you know, via Twitter and LinkedIn really quickly. Or they have their own blogs like Marissa Meyer has a Tumblr blog. I think that uh, this is worth checking out. He mentioned Instapaper as a uh, app you can use to download articles. I like um, P- Pocket. It's a pretty unique app. You can use it with Twitter, Google Chrome. I'm pretty sure you can use it with Firefox or anything. And it just sends it to this app on your phone or your iPad or other tablets. Um, you can access it offline. And with Evernote, I use that for pieces that I'm going to take notes on because you can send the link right to it, provide some notes for yourself, and an easy way to keep it all in an organized way And because you can add tags and things like that. So. I want to borrow from something that you touched on, Taylor, which is finding people who can not only inform you, but also in some ways temper you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, That's one of the reasons I like Jason Zweig at the Wall Street Journal. He is an incredibly thoughtful experience. He's a great writer, but he's very thoughtful. Uh, Chuck Jaffe at MarketWatch is another guy. And, And Chuck Jaffe is a guy who focuses almost exclusively on mutual funds. But he's a very smart guy. He's on the short list of anyone's list of experts when it comes to the mutual fund industry. Uh, but he writes with humor, and he's also a guy who just is willing to not not be bearish for the sake of being bearish, but just tempered and to just sort of you know keep my enthusiasm in check. Because every once in a while, certainly over the last 18 months, it's been really easy for me personally to be like, oh, this, is a- <laughs> this is the best time of my life. Everything's awesome, and no stocks will ever go down ever again. It's a virtuous cycle because, I mean, everyone out there is saying the same thing. So it just the bias just continues building yeah. on itself unless you do find those few people out there that even if you don't believe it, it's still nice to read it every now and then to recalibrate. Yeah. Uh, I will tweet out on the Market Foolery feed the, uh, the link to Barry Ritholz's column because there's, there's some good stuff. Although, I got to say... No mention of podcasts. I wasn't even necessarily looking for a, a shout-out for Market Foolery. I was just a little surprised that, based on what we've heard from our dozens of listeners about, oh, this is a way for me to stay informed, in part because of the whole, hey, look, people are busy. Yep. 
And I can do this while I'm doing something else, while I'm walking my dog, while I'm at the gym, while I'm doing my commute, my drive to work, et cetera. So I was just a little surprised that there wasn't anything that was sort of, you know, a nod towards the medium of podcasts. And not everybody has a 90-minute commute on the metro like he does that can just read everything he wants to to read. So audio is a great option. Audio is a great option. It sounds to me like really our next uh, step here, because Morgan obviously holds a little bit of sway with this guy, is, is, you know, he needs to make this guy aware that we do, in fact, have dozens of listeners (laughs) and a podcast that's very worth the 15 We're showing Barry some love here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, All right. Taylor Markham and Jason Moser. Guys. Thanks for being here. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Monocle may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Heather Horton. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Go USA. Go USA.